This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio episode number 28, How a Savvy Woman Develops Her Career. Today I interview Barrett Avigdor, co-author of What Happy Working Women Know. Barrett is a senior executive in the legal group at Accenture, a consulting and outsourcing company. She shares the importance of political savvy and other skills that will accelerate your career success. Be sure and listen for a special offer at the end of the show, how to get a free copy of my new course, 15 Leadership Secrets Guaranteed to Help Women Get Promoted. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life, no matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur. Join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. Hey, this is Sabrina Brahm with womensleadershipsuccess.com. In this segment of Women's Leadership Success Radio podcast, we'll be discussing what happy working mothers know about being successful at work. Our guest today is Barrett Avigdor. She is an international lawyer, executive coach, and a Fulbright scholar. She is an innovator, trainer, and thought leader in talent strategy and management. She has been a member of the leadership team at Accenture's legal group since 1995. She is known for her passion to ex- for excellence in human performance, and Barrett is also the co-creator of What Happy Working Mothers Know. Welcome, Barrett. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, um, as as you mentioned, um, I'm a lawyer. I feel like I've been a lawyer for a long time. Um, I'm originally from the Midwest, and um, I've been at Accenture for many years, but before that I was in private law practice. Um, and I've had the good fortune over the years to have some opportunities to live abroad, so I've spent time living in Mexico and in Brazil. Um, I have two wonderful sons who are now 19 and 16, and um, a wonderful husband. Of, you know, as I tease him, he's, he's still my first husband um, <laughs> of, of many years. So I, you know, I have to say I've had my share of, of really great adventures um, and a wonderful, loving family and support system as well. Fantastic. How did you uh, become passionate about talent development? You know, it's funny. As a, as a lawyer, we don't generally focus very much on managing other people. In fact, lawyers are notoriously bad managers as a group um, because we're focused much more on, on doing what it is that we do. But at Accenture, um, I've had the opportunity to manage many different teams of people, and for the most part, they have tended to be international teams. So I've always been based in the U.S., but I've managed people all over the world. And I found over time that the most interesting challenges in my career were, in fact, the people management challenges. Um, I also looked at the group as a whole and realized that, for the most part, we were underutilizing people. So it's, it's a pretty common mistake, I think, that law firms are notorious for this in that they tend to overwork but underutilize. So that you ask people to do a lot, but you never really tap into what they love to do and what they're passionate about. Um, so that became just a, a, an area of fascination for me is how do you motivate people by 
helping them love their work, not just making them do more of it or having them do what they're good at, but, but really tapping into their passion. Um, and that just that became a passion of mine, and, and that took me in that direction. Wow, that's really exciting. And uh, in your book, uh, What Happy Mother, Working Mothers Know, you mention a lot of that. And you mentioned um, getting comfortable with ambition. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, as women, we get a lot of um, conflicting signals growing up. Um, so certainly women today have much more um, freedom. You know, we can dream big. We can go into any profession. We're certainly standing on the shoulders, as they say, standing on the shoulders of our predecessors and, and benefiting from all of the work that early feminists did. Mm-hmm. And yet, despite all of those terrific um, advances, which are very, very real, there are still a lot of subtle um, social messages that women should not be too aggressive, women should not be too ambitious, um, and so women find themselves, successful women particularly, find themselves in this dilemma of how do I continue to be successful but I can't play it like a man because mm-hmm. if a woman behaves like a man, well, first of all, it's probably not genuine because that's probably not her, but it's also not well perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always been a challenge is how can you have that ambition and show it and still be not you know still still have a personality and a demeanor that doesn't put people off because of course we always we need we all need teams we all need supporters um so that's a delicate balance and i think it's much more delicate for women truthfully than for men um it's a challenge on the other hand we say don't don't dream small you know dream big and and we encourage women to have ambition because that's where they're going to find ultimate happiness is when they they do and they achieve what they really want, whatever that is, however big or small that is, that's where they're going to find their, their happiness. Do you have any specific uh, suggestions on how to show that ambition or uh, you know, let people know you're ambitious in a way that really works for a woman? Sure. Um, and I have to cite the work of a, a good friend of mine who also has a couple of terrific books out. Um, her name is Susan Butler. Oh. And Susan was the first female executive at Arthur Anderson. Um, and I worked, Accenture is, is an offshoot of Arthur Anderson. You, you know, it used to be part of that company. So I worked with Susan years ago, and she's a real trailblazer because for many, many, many years, she was the, the only woman in the room, you know, the, the senior leadership team, and it was all men plus Susan. Uh-huh. So she has a lot of really great um, tips in a book that's called Be the CEO of You, Inc. Um, So she talks about things like be clear what your strategy is, sort of, you know, set a concrete goal. Um, You know, do you want that next promotion? Do you want to work in a particular industry? You know, be specific about what you want to achieve next. Um, She talks about building your own personal board of directors. And I love that image because it's that idea of, you know, gathering people. They may be people at work. Chances are they're also people that you know from the community, people in your family, friends, a small group of people who you really trust to give you good advice, to be, give you honest advice. Um, to bounce. So those are the people you bounce ideas off of. Those are even the people you practice with before a big meeting if you have to give a presentation or before an important one-on-one meeting if you have to negotiate your salary or something mm-hmm. like that. 
right? So, so she gives great tactical advice. She even talks about marketing and packaging. Mm-hmm. You have to look like what you want to be. If mm-hmm. you want to be a senior executive at your company, you have to start dressing the part and acting the part. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things, you know, there, there's a lot of, of detail behind, you know, the ambition. But first you have to start with being clear about what you want and being clear-eyed, being realistic. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have to go back to school. You know, do you have the credentials? It's not enough to just have the desire and the work ethic. Do you have the credentials? And if not, how do you get them? Or do you have the work experience you need? Maybe you've got all the degrees you need to get that job, but you need to have more experience doing certain types of things. Mm-hmm. Then go and ask for that experience. What so, do you think about doing volunteer work to get that experience? I think that can be great. Um, it depends on what the experience is. So. Mm-hmm. You know, volunteer work is terrific because it does allow you often to get a lot more um, uh, sort of authority and responsibility early on, right, because they need people. Generally, in a volunteer organization, they're always short of people. So I think that's that's great. Um, It doesn't always translate. But my only caveat would be, you know, just, you know, managing a team of people who are running an event say a charity event is great experience at learning how to run an event. It may not be great experience at learning how to run a department. Right. 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 So it's make sure good. it fits. Right. And yeah. it's still good. In other words, if that's all you can get right now, if you say, look, I can't get anybody to let me run a department yet, then fine. You know, mm-hmm. get experience, manage it, because you're still doing the same things. I guess it would be a question of really breaking down what are the skills you need for that next job? And if one of those skills is I have to learn how to be organized, I have to learn how to motivate people, I have to be good at giving clear direction and getting to a goal within a time frame, yeah, you know, a, a charity event could do all of that for you. Yeah. I, I, I would just say be realistic. Yeah, and I, I, I love the question you just asked, what are the skills that you need for this next job, which it seems obvious, but I think a lot of times we don't ask that question and really mm-hmm. pay attention to what are the skill sets in that job? That's great. Yeah. You talk in your book about meaningful work. What does that mean? Well, you know, um, meaning has a, it, it, it's, it's a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. So um, meaning is different for everyone. And it's interesting, and I'm really glad you asked that question, because since our book came out, there is um, a new book that's come out by the guy who is really the father of positive psychology. His name is Martin Seligman, mm-hmm. uh, and he's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And he he coined the phrase. I mean, he came up with it about 15, 20 years ago. He just came out with a book called Flourish. And it, his concept is he takes happiness, if you will, to the next level. Mm-hmm. And he said that that for, for happiness to be sustainable, um, it becomes something called well-being. And well-being is meaning. It's having meaning in your life, and it's having strong network of relationships. And so it encompasses everything we said about happiness. That's in there, too. He's just kind of expanded it to say you almost can't have sustainable happiness without meaning. So what is meaning? That was your question. It's, it's, seeing, it's seeing how what you do fits into the bigger picture. So it depends, then, and it's very personal. So for some people, it's all about helping others, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that's a pretty common motivation, you know. So for me, that's that's a big deal. 
I have to feel like I'm helping other people in some way. Mm-hmm. For other people, it might be saving the planet, you know, making the planet more environmentally healthy. Um, for other people, it could be animals. You know, it, it doesn't. There's no right or wrong, mm-hmm. but it's a question of tapping into what your personal values are, and that's why it's so personal. So first, you have to really look inside and say, what is truly important to me? Like, if I'm going to rank the top three or five things mm-hmm. that I want to spend my life working towards, what are the really important things? It doesn't mean other things aren't important, but you know, we all have our preferences, mm-hmm. and then. Meaning is if you can align your work, your time, your energy to one of those things that that are truly high values to you, truly essential values. That's that's meaning, and it doesn't have to be charity work. You know, so some people have said to me, "Well, okay, I, you know, I want world peace and I want to end world hunger and I want, you know, I mean, there are a lot of very worthy causes out there, but they said, but I got to make a living." I don't know how to make a living trying to solve world hunger. I just don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. My response is it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be quite so specific. In other words, you know, it could be if you say, look, I want to use my talents to do something that improves the lives of others, there are a lot of ways you can do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could even be selling pharmaceuticals. You know what I mean? It right. doesn't have to be the the lofty goal, but you do have to find the connection between what you do, your work, and what's important to you. There's got to be that connection. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's also a, a visceral, a body thing that you can you can feel that excitement, that passion when you're when you're doing work that that is meaningful. Mm-hmm. So there's you, there's ways to tell. Absolutely. Oh, when, absolutely. There's ways to tell. And what you find is that when you're doing work that you find meaningful, your stress level goes down. Um, your your just anxiety level tends to go down because you get absorbed in the work. Mm-hmm. You're focused. You're not focused as focused on they don't pay me enough to do this or how come that other person got the promotion that I wanted. That becomes less important because you're really more focused on on what you're doing with mm-hmm. the work, and that's what gives you satisfaction. It's a, a beautiful answer. Um, in your book, you, you I'm going to switch a little bit here. You you talk about. Uh, it takes more than hard work and talent to succeed. It also takes savvy. Uh, uh, what is what is savvy, and how can a woman develop it? So savvy is um, emotional intelligence. It, it's it's a, a component, I guess I would say, of emotional intelligence. Uh-huh. So emotional intelligence is is all about understanding how you are perceived by other people, mm-hmm. um, and and how why they react to you in a certain way, and then learning how to um, modulate that, how to control that. So you learn when you do certain things, say it in a certain way, dress in a certain way, you're going to evoke a particular reaction. Once you figure that out, then you can, um, it's going to say, you, you can sort of, it, you can in a sense control the way that people react to you. So, it sounds terrible to say it that way, but a simple thing is when you go to a job interview, you dress appropriately, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to dress professionally mm-hmm. because you know that if you walk in well-dressed and well-groomed and polished, you're going to get the reaction of, okay, this woman's serious. Now let's see what she has to say. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you walked in with jeans and flip-flops, you wouldn't even get that far. I mean, that's a dramatic example. right? right? But So we all do that at some level, but the really savvy people have it tuned 
to a very fine point. Mm-hmm. So they they understand that they understand how to control themselves and how to how to read other people. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that they do is they make sure that they are. Um, I'm going to say well-informed and realistic, and that goes back to that board of directors that right. everybody should have. You know, no matter how smart any of us is, we all have blind spots. We all have things that we're just going to miss. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best thing would be to make sure you've got this kind of group of allies and, and ask for feedback, get feedback. Make sure you understand the politics of the situation, even if you don't like politics. Mm-hmm. Every place has it, under, at least understand it. So that you don't, you know, fall fall into uh, into any traps unwittingly. Mm-hmm. I I wanted to just make a comment on the, the how you're perceived by others. I, it's it it's being authentically your best self. So if you if you're not coming across well, it's learning how to be your best self and not do the things that may foul you up in relating to others or even making yourself happy. Um, that, I think that that's very true, and I think authenticity is really important. So that's that's a great point. Mm-hmm. But I sometimes um, young people in particular mm-hmm. uh, can take that authenticity and and um, misread it a little to be look. It's like what you see is what you get. Kind right. Of authenticity. And and my point would be that's not very savvy. You know. Um, in other words. Don't be fake. Don't, I'm not suggesting you be someone different, but you also have to understand the context in which you're operating. So right. if you want to be effective, you, you have to you know, send out the signals that will at least open people's minds to listen to you. Right. Um, and, that, and for some young people, that, that actually is a bit of a surprise. <laughs> but, um, but they learn. Yeah, uh, life gives one painful lessons <laughs> if yeah, you don't. Yeah. Um, so uh, the research says that many times women underassess their talents and their, their abilities. Mm-hmm. How does that affect them getting promoted? Oh, it affects them so many ways. Getting promoted and even getting paid what they're worth. Ah, good um, point. Because there's lots of studies out there and, and books um, Linda Babcock is a professor at Carnegie Mellon University who's written two books about just about women's inability to negotiate for themselves. So she's done a ton of research. And that doesn't say women are not good negotiators. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer. I negotiate for a living. We can be excellent negotiators. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to negotiating for ourselves and particularly for money, mm-hmm. we are not good. Why is that? Well, there's something very fundamentally different about men and women um, in the way that that we're just in the way that we're wired. Mm-hmm. And and the way the best way I have heard to summarize it is, men fear not having enough. So the fear of men is they won't have enough money, power, success. Women fear not being enough, not being good enough, not being a good enough employee, wife, sister, friend. Mm-hmm. That if you if you take that if you if you kind of take that as a fundamental you know to stipulate that that's true right away that helps explain why men are so much more comfortable being aggressive when they negotiate for themselves mm-hmm. because they their big fear is not getting enough so they're going to negotiate the heck out of that salary discussion whereas a woman is concerned that well what if I don't really deserve that much money 
what if I'm not really quite as good? What if what they're paying me really is, you know? So it, it's kind of a fundamental difference in the way we view ourselves. And it also goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago, the societal messages that it's not nice, you know, it's not ladylike to ask for too much. Mm-hmm. And even though any woman in business would say, oh, I'm not worried about that, at some level it's that that's still there. You know, you don't want to be perceived as, you know, a word that rhymes with rich. You don't want to be <laughs> right, right, right. that way. Mm-hmm. So so there are, th- there are those things. It's that the feeling of maybe I'm not that good, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's not somehow ladylike or appropriate for me to push too hard. And the third thing that holds us back is we tend to be very relationship-oriented. And who are you negotiating with when you negotiate salary? You're negotiating with your boss. Uh-huh. And that's generally the person with whom you want to have a really good relationship. So you don't want to push too hard because you don't want to put strain on the relationship. Men rarely worry about this, I guarantee you. You know, And again, this is borne out by a lot of research. So um, it, it hurts us in a lot of ways. We don't ask for the promotions. We, and when we ask, we don't insist. We don't <laughs> make the case. We don't sell it. You know, we may ask, but we only ask once, whereas the man is in there asking, you know, every week. And we we make less money because we don't negotiate. And it starts with your starting salary, and then it just ex- it, it gets exacerbated every year after that because, as you know, raises are based on a percentage of salary. Mm-hmm. So if you start low, you'll, you never catch up. Right. I think it's really helpful if, if women prepare in advance, if you practice these things before you actually get in the conversation. Yep. Um, do you have any, does that make sense to you, and do you have any other ideas on that? I think that, um, you know, like any negotiation, uh, preparation, preparation, preparation. So when I have to negotiate something like that for myself, I try to treat it as though I'm my own client. Um, I try to be objective. Mm-hmm. So I will try to find out as much um, external information as I can. You know, what's the market rate, for example? Um, to the extent I can find out what other people are making, mm-hmm. I might do that. You know, so I try to find objective facts that will help support my argument. Mm-hmm. Then I might make a list of, okay, what are the contributions I've made recently that would warrant this increase in salary? Um, you know, so I try to build an objective case. In, just like I would if I were negotiating on behalf of somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it shouldn't be because they feel underpaid, right? You know, it right. should always be fact-based. So I, and then practicing, absolutely, especially if you're not comfortable having difficult conversations. Bullet pointed out, you know, actually write down, I'm a, that's just for me anyway, I'm visual. So I have to write down the key bullet points. Mm-hmm. And then if you can practice them with someone you trust who doesn't work with you, Mm-hmm. Um, not not a colleague at work, but right. somebody who doesn't work with you. Practice with them, and if you can't practice with the mirror, you know, can you look at yourself in the eye? Can you say this with a straight face? Can you get these words out? Because you're right. The more you practice, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, but being really clear about your key points and and being businesslike. What do you you know? If you were in the other chair, if you were your boss, mm-hmm. what would your counter arguments be? And trying to anticipate those. So prepare, 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 and right. and the big thing, and I, it, I, this is, I know this might sound odd, but try to stay as unemotional as possible, mm-hmm. because I know a lot of women who are smart, smart, good professionals, who you know like dissolve into tears 
when they don't get it because they want it so badly and because mm-hmm. they feel so vulnerable by asking. You know, it it took so much courage for them to ask mm-hmm. that if they get a negative response, they just they tear up, and that doesn't help their case. Um, right. And that's why I say, you know, try to even emotionally remove yourself so that if you get a no, your first response is, okay, then what will it take? Mm-hmm. If I come back to you in six months, w- what are you looking for? Yeah. I think that's really good advice. I recently worked with a woman who had, she had been turned down seven times for promotion, and every time she would burst out crying and run out of the room. Oh. And and um, we we really worked on her disconnecting, almost like she was a third person having this conversation, so that no matter what happened, she would be really calm. And mm-hmm. she got the promotion. She okay. she really needed to work on that disconnecting so she didn't get emotional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I'm glad it finally worked for her. Yeah, Another yeah. Sometimes there's a lot of rejection. Right, and and of course, and you know, if you get emotional right before your period, it probably is not a good time to do the well, conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, you re- that's a really good point. If you can control the timing of this thing, if you get to call the meeting, um, yeah, control it during a time of the month when you'll be okay, and even the time of the day. So there are, you know, we all have times of day when we have higher energy and lower energy. So, you know, morning people um, can, tend to have their highest energy in the morning. Mm-hmm. I would say, and, and maybe you're a late-night person, so your energy at work peaks, you know, right around 5 in the afternoon. Whatever it is, if you can call the meeting during the time when you feel your sharpest, that would be best. Mm-hmm. get to control it. We don't always get to control, but um, that would definitely, because you've you got to think on your feet no matter how well prepared you are. You wow. know, you're going to have to think on your feet. So I agree. Control the timing for when you're going to be your best. Yes. That's really, really an important thing, and always it's always create the best possible scenario for yourself you can, whether it's a meeting or or whatever the situation is. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, another, just one more thought. Yeah. Because a lot of times um, the boss, either because he or she doesn't understand how important this is to you or because they're intentionally kind of disrespecting you, they'll allow interruptions. They'll be looking at their computer or they'll let people come in the office, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think there's, I mean, I would say there's nothing wrong with saying, if, you know, one interruption is one thing. But if you find that, that your boss is constantly looking at his phone or looking at his computer, nothing wrong with saying, you know what, maybe this is a bad time. Should we reschedule for when I can have your undivided attention? I love that. That is a great thing to say. Because it's so disrespectful when people do that. Mm-hmm. And it's a, in my opinion, it's, very, it's, a, it's a subtle undermining of your self-worth, and you're not going to get the result you want. Um, and chances are, if you say that, They'll put down the phone and look up and say, "Okay, you know, ch- chances are they'll you call them on it and they'll 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 do the right thing." Right, it, and you deserve respect. Absolutely. So that Absolutely. that's uh, this is. I just really appreciate you being willing to come on our program. This is going to help so many women listening out there. This is really really great, and you've already mentioned so many books and periodicals that I'm sure women will have been writing down and we'll get. Do you have any other books that you that come to mind that you really think are great? Of course, they should get What Happy Working Mothers Know, which is a great book. Of course. <laughs> um, 
you know, the only, the other book that, um, other than, you know, Susan Butler's books, and, and she's got two, that I, both of which are great, um, there's a book called Crucial Conversations. Uh-huh. I like that we, book. It, it's been around. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the first author is Patterson. Right. But that's a good one, you know, as you had said about preparing for a tough conversation. Mm-hmm. Crucial Conversations that really helped me when I had, you know, my toughest negotiations on behalf of myself. Mm. So, you know, and it and it helps you because many of us are a bit um, conflict-averse. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't like conflict. Most women don't. Mm-hmm. Most people don't, actually. But, you know, so this helps you deal with what could be a, a conflict kind of situation in a way that that's professional, that, that doesn't let someone else take your strength from you, you know, where you can stay in control of your message and your strength. So, that would be the other one I would recommend. Great. The first 10 people who fill out the survey at www.womensleadershipsuccess.com to let us know what is important to you before August 31st will be eligible to win a copy of my new course, 15 Leadership Secrets Guaranteed to Help Women Get Promoted. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brom, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrom.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.